those who tuned in early to the live stream of the brand new streaming platform, The Platform Last Monday Before Seven, heard Tom Petty there wailing about waiting being the hardest part before the platform got underway. Though by that time, it was Elvis Presley drowning out the star turn of The Platform, founder Sean Plunkett. And it was only when they turned the king down a bit that those wanting to hear what the platform's main man was actually saying got a little more satisfaction. And bad and indifferent. A place where all people are welcome to take part and you won't be judged for your age, your gender or your income or your ethnicity or your political leaning or who you like sleeping with. We're a platform for tolerance and openness and truth. We aren't taking your tax dollar filtered through the government's spin machine to fund our business. And we are never, and I mean never, going to bow to cancel culture mobs or social media trolls. Now, not taking public money was a huge theme, even an obsession for this digital media service, broadcasting daily online for 12 hours from studios in Wellington and central Otago. And it also has an app and a website that's been up and running for a while now, carrying opinion pieces by the hosts and guest writers. In the run-up to going live this week, Sean Plunkett wouldn't say where the platform's funding was coming from, though Business Desk revealed earlier this month that the Wright family from Tauranga, headed by Rich Listers Wayne and Chloe Wright, had taken a majority stake through its family trust. Now, This message claiming that other media are compromised by government handouts airs repeatedly in the platform's live output. Who can you trust in this rapidly changing world? Most Kiwi media are overseas owned. Most are taking government money that comes with strings attached. If they don't like what you say, you're cancelled. But now, there is a place where you can resist, get and share views that are honest and real. It's talk radio, it's honest opinions, it's free media. Join the resistance. Throughout the day, the platform's listeners regularly hear also stirring soundbites from Winston Churchill, John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King in between all the talking, and then this frequent message from the founder. If anything you've heard or read on the platform has offended, disturbed or upset you, or if you believe we've breached any code of broadcasting standards, tough. You can ring our talk line on 0800 debate and have a yarn about what's upset you though. Don't melt like a snowflake, Sean Plunkett told listeners on day one. Call in, sound off and get debate going, but within limits. There are some rules, folks. Let's try and play the ball, not the person. Let's look for common ground rather than pick an argument. And when we have to, let's agree to disagree. But on that day, the callers weren't really debating the hosts, just backing them up and telling them that they couldn't agree more. The platform also runs hourly news bulletins and regular headlines, just like actual talk radio, and Sean Plunkett had what he called an exclusive up his sleeve on day one, a government policy to encourage uptake of EVs, which he reckoned would be in the budget next week. Now, Sean Plunkett told listeners this was crazy and virtue signalling and an unjustifiable subsidy, which could also put people into debt. It kind of looks good on paper, doesn't it? And it'll make, I guess, you know... The hippies and the mung bean munchers feel good about saving the planet. 
not playing the person there doesn't apply to environmentalists, it seems, who Sean Plunkett was happy to stereotype like that. But the caller Matt wasn't keen on that EV idea either for a different reason. If you go and look up in, uh, in Paris, I think on the outskirts of Paris, there's paddocks with about 10,000 of EVs, little wee smart cars just sitting there, they don't know what to do with them. So I think that tells, tells, tells the story of EVs and what's really going on with them and yeah. they're a bit of a false narrative as far as, I, as far as I'm aware. But it was actually what Matt was saying there that was the false narrative. He'd seen photos of a so-called graveyard of electric vehicles in France that have been widely shared on Facebook lately by people claiming that these were EVs discarded once their batteries had died. But actually those cars were part of the mothballed former fleet of a car-sharing service in France, which went bust back in 2018. Now, the first public figure of political note on the platform was the National Party's police spokesperson, Mark Mitchell, on Monday. I was slightly confused, Mark. Did we have you scheduled as a guest on the programme or are you just shamelessly trying to connect with the voters? No, no, no. Look, you, you did have me um, scheduled. You, John Pagani contacted me last night to I come on the show and I said, of course I'll do that for sure, no problem at all. All right. The next big name on the line after that on Monday was Peter Williams, who, like Sean Plunkett, quit MediaWorks talk station Magic Talk last year. Back then, Peter Williams was criticised for airing COVID vaccine misinformation and for endorsing an anti-vax group, among other things. And he told Sean Plunkett that working for Magic Talk had sucked the life out of him, but now he was living the good life on 10 acres near Cromwell. And although he shared Sean Plunkett's intense objection to government funding of private media, Peter Williams didn't seem too keen when Sean Plunkett asked him to put in a few shifts in the platform's new central Otago studio. You can pull a shift for us? Well, I'm a bit out of practice, to be fair. Look, uh, I don't think that would worry anyone, to be honest. <laughs> now, Peter Williams was also recently appointed to the board of the New Zealand Taxpayers Union Lobby Group, whose talking points and people also got a fair bit of airtime when the platform kicked off. On day one, for example, spokesperson Louis Holbrook told Sean Plunkett the lack of mainstream media coverage of its own opinion poll which had picked up public disapproval of public money for the media, was in itself proof of the conflict of interest he claimed was a reason the public disapproved of it all in the first place. Happily, though, Media Watch got a pass for picking up on that poll. We actually got Radio New Zealand on their Media Watch, but they're always government-funded. None of the private media outlets that accept public interest journalism. So not one. Another of Sean Plunkett's fellow talkback hosts from a decade ago on the Radio Live Network is on the platform's roster. That's Michael Laws, though he hasn't appeared on the platform yet because he's got COVID. So the platform's digital and social media manager, Annie O'Brien, filled in for the mid-morning slot. Now, she's a former staffer for the former National Party leader, Judith Collins, a member of the lobby group Stand Up for Women, which opposes gender self-identification, and she's a very active free speech campaigner. And her preoccupations were front and centre when she took the mic on Monday. Yeah, and we've seen that play out, obviously, because, um, like you said, the Masaranga um, Māori... Um debate, that wasn't a debate, um, non-debate, right. <laughs> um, where those um, academics wrote a letter to the listener um, and were roundly criticised and um, really cancelled in some situations. And then now as well with the, um, the freedom to discuss gender and sex, obviously we see Daphna um, being um, 
deplatformed. The problem is they're not allowed to think about it. They're not allowed to question the uh, emerging orthodoxy that prevails in these spaces mm-hmm. and actually challenge assumptions. And and if our, if we can't do that at universities, where on earth in our country will we be able to do that? Now that was about a recent poll on academic freedom carried out by Curia, the polling company of David Farah, a founder member of the Taxpayers' Union, which also commissioned that media funding poll which we heard was aired on the platform earlier in the day. Now none of these organisations, it seems, will struggle to get their work mentioned on the platform. But in the afternoons, the tone changes a little. Leanne Malcolm hosts a less political show, Southbeat, playing tunes and chatting with people like veteran muso Jordan Luck. Try and keep a balance of, of uh, not being too happy. <laughs> of, of not being too happy. Yeah. You know. And later in the afternoons, there's three hours of live sports chat with Martin Devlin, yet another from the old Radio Live network, and News Talk ZB, who also left his post last year on the radio amid controversy over his conduct on and off the air. Now, the centrepiece of his first outing on the platform was a long interview with Team New Zealand's much-criticised captain, Grant Dalton. One person's up front getting getting hammered. and and But there's no sort of alternative. Someone's got to front it. Someone's got to front the bad news. And, and, and it, it falls to me to do that. The man with possibly the thickest skin in New Zealand public life made no apology at all for taking the America's Cup to Spain. And he also said that New Zealand should embrace opportunities offered up by the state-backed elite sports-washing regime of Saudi Arabia. Any sports journos listening in would have got a line or two for a story, you'd think, though it seems none did. Grant Dalton was also unrepentant about taking taxpayers' money down the years, though this time the taxpayers' union weren't called upon by the platform to follow up. On Tuesday, taxing Auckland motorists with congestion charges made news right across the media, a revealing sign of the lack of independent thought among our news media, Sean Plunkett told platform listeners that morning, though that didn't put him off either, asking anti-poverty advocate Sue Bradford what she thought at length that same day, as well as asking listeners, what would you do to climate activists if you caught them letting down the tyres on your ute? Now this was talkback that could have got out of hand, but this time it was Sean's caller who calmed the farm. I'm not into any of that. Um, hey, that's a good message, I'll, mate. That's a good message. What is... Yeah. All right. And look, I, I, I like to say you hauled me back from the brink of inciting violence against individuals. <laughs> and you're quite right. I guess if, if anyone does come across these people, the best thing would be in this day and age, you whip out your cell phone, don't you, and the camera. Now, the platform's hosts have told their listeners that they can take conversations much further than the radio because they've got no advertisers to worry about at the moment and they're not afraid of any backlash or cancel culture. But so far, most of the time, most of the conversations are much the same as you'd expect on traditional talk radio, where all these veterans have worked until now. One possible exception, though, was the story of CEO Simon Henry, who hit the headlines last week for calling my food bag founder Nadia Lim Eurasian fluff and accusing the company of using her and her cleavage to attract investment in a company that she and other founders are now moving away from. Sean Plunkett condemned the outraged media commentary of Henry's conduct. He said it was a diversion that had failed the public. It was misogynistic and maybe racist. Funny thing was, of course, Nadia Lim says she wasn't offended. She chose to be offended in all the interviews I've seen on the potential that it might offend someone else. Now, worrying about being offended, in my mind, is a bit snowflakey anyway, but choosing to be offended on other people's behalf is even worse. That's real virtue signalling. And what she didn't address was the fact that she'd walked away with $14 million or more from the float of her company, 
And the people who might have, we can't know for sure, who might have invested in my food bag because it had the celebrity endorsement and the nice picture of Nadia Lim, maybe their mum and dad investors. This was an opinion Sean Plunkett had already written up for the platform's website, and later that same morning it was echoed by host Annie O'Brien. I feel like there is a lot of reason that people might be upset with with Lim and and others. Um, What do you think? Do you think that this is all a bit of a storm in a, a teacup? We should stop talking about it because no one really cares who's been called fluff. And the people who called in on that topic all seem to be in full agreement that Nadia Lim was the problem, not Simon Henry. I think Nadia should just stick a nose in there like I did, stick a chest out, show a cleavage. Good on you, Liz. Thank you very much indeed. All right, who are we going to go to next? For all the promises of unfiltered debate and a contest of opinions, unrestrained by cautious editors or advertisers or the government, those who joined the resistance seem to follow their opinion leaders rather than take them on. Now, it's early days yet, but this week I asked Sean Plunkett if he was happy with that and what the platform can offer that the supposedly constrained private and publicly funded media outlets don't or can't. Our lines are open all the time. We don't wait till 9 o'clock when suddenly, supposedly, the talkback audience awakens from its slumber. Our attitude, too, and you would have seen the surveys about public opinion about the impartiality or the bias inherent in mainstream media. There is no denying that many New Zealanders feel that their mainstream media, because it is taking money from the government, I mean, you're fully funded by the government, but I think Radio New Zealand institutionally has hitherto had um, a pretty good idea of independence in journalism. But the problem is a whole lot of New Zealanders who have listened to talkback or listened to commercial radio have felt that they are somehow disenfranchised in the world of political correctness and wokeism that their views are not listened to. We have outfits like stuff saying we will not accept, you know, we're not going to have discussion on these articles. We're not going to talk about climate change. Um, We will decide who gets platformed and we will decide who gets deplatformed. We have the Herald saying it will never publish anything by Michael uh, Bassett again, a former senior cabinet minister, a highly qualified historian and someone who has something to say. So what I'm saying the platform and the very word of the platform is, is that we will talk and entertain points of view that might not be in the mainstream media culturally accessible or, or available. Even bad ideas should be aired and discussed in an open democracy. There are certainly, you know, issues that are your particular preoccupations and those of your hosts, right, for example. So just, I don't mean to pick on it, but Annie O'Brien, I know she's just filling in because she's, but straight as she's on air, she's a member of Stand Up For Women, free speech advocate, you know, so straight away, you know, she's into those issues. You yourself, as you've mentioned, to media funding, taxpayers union poll, courier polls. So we've heard about all that Mm. stuff within the first couple of days. You even had, for example, Mm. on Friday... The, the Burr case, this uh, uh, extraordinary jury decision, yep. David Farrer yep. on that, uh, your pollster, the one you use. Isn't this some of the preoccupations for you and uh, it is people in a certain circle who uh, are getting a platform on your People in a certain circle who have been absolutely deplatformed by mainstream media. 
which has led to a, listening, a lessening in New Zealand society of diversity and open discussion. Well, we, we hear you know, taxpayers union political polls talked about throughout the media. David Farr is on a lot. Yeah, you can turn though, on a radio and you hear him a lot. Didn't get any coverage in any mainstream media. Well, this program did, but yes, I know. I, ah, I, I, I okay. note that. But let, are you let, mainstream, Colin, or are you a little niche <laughs> of liberal outrage? That would be for other people <laughs> to judge, I would say. But let's, you mentioned this, this, you make a huge deal at the platform. You can't listen for very long before you hear either a recorded message or one of the hosts make this point about the media are being compromised, strings attached. Uh, you mentioned the Public Interest Journalism Fund a lot, which is $55 yep. million from the current government over three to four years. But look, mm. you know this. There's nothing new about public money going into private media companies. Oh, there's a lot new, Colin, about public money that you're only going to get if you agree to literally run your news business in accordance with the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Colin. But that relates to the Public Interest Journalism Fund, which is $55 million over, million over three years. The, the current yeah, and then you don't get any New Zealand on-air funding unless you are politically aligned with the cultural commissars who sit there and dole that money out. Well, that may relate to decisions made to that particular fund. But in general, this, this fund takes government money for the media to around about $300 million a year in total. Now, I wish yeah. this was debated more, what we all get for it, where it goes who's accountable, whether it's well spent. But as I said, you know, for over 30 years, the whole contestable system of funding, television companies that have, you know, have, yeah. have derived income from this stuff, it's been going on forever. Now, the, the funding that people get from this... And you public... know what? The degradation of the independence and lack of bias in New Zealand media has been going on forever then too. Well, has it? This is my point. Why, why is anything different now? Uh, because you want to make a, a political point about... That uh, public interest. I don't want to make any political point except that democracy requires freedom of speech and for citizens to be unafraid to say what they think and to discuss difficult issues and to agree to disagree without being cancelled or derided. What are the issues that just cannot, cannot, will not be discussed by mainstream media? We have to talk about, well, it's been called the co governance issue. We have to have, and Matthew Tukaki I had on this morning, saying we have to have a mature debate in this country about where constitutionally the Treaty of Waitangi sits in in relation to our governments. Are we a bicultural country? Are we a multicultural country? Do we give specific voting rights based on the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi to one group by its ethnicity or not? All these things are talked about in the media, Sean. This is about that. What are the headlines that mainstream media have been running about that? That is the name-calling that is going on between, uh, what do we have, Kelvin Davis calling everyone in the opposition, you know, the granddaughters uh, or grandsons of colonialists. Um, people scream racist, um, and mainstream media helps people scream racist whenever those difficult issues are raised. Mm. Well, yeah, sounds like people exercising a bit of their free speech, and that stuff's been reported in the media. So yeah, too has... not when the media takes sides, Colin. Not when there is groupthink, and I think, uh, I don't know if you saw... Simon Bridges' uh, valedictory speech last Tuesday. I did, yeah. Um, he, and he said, um, and he warned the press gallery and the media, he said, when you're all reporting the same thing, when you've all got the same point of view, you should reflect on whether or not uh, you're doing your job properly. Yeah, that's one politician's view who had a fairly hard time from the media. But in terms of those issues you raised that you think uh, being... Uh, ignored or not being properly debated. Dr. Bryce Edwards, one of your contributors, 
uh, on or guest writers, I guess, on on the platform. He does this daily digest of stuff reported in the media yeah. that journalists um, use quite a lot. And you can see co-governance, hapua pua, all these things that you're saying are almost no-go areas that the media's made their mind yeah. up on or aren't being freely debated. You know, there's article after article after article, as yeah, well as these sideline debates and, that you're talking about. Context, there is no mass platform for that, and that's why I've got Bryce on. Bryce has always been a good writer, but you know what's happened to Bryce Edwards. Because he has deviated from the politically accepted narrative of the left and those in power on the left, he is being frozen out, given the cold shoulder by the Labour establishment, he has almost been forced. Not by the media, um, though, Sean. He's, he's a very visible. He's a very he's visible a pundit and commentator. I don't mind that, but he has experienced the very cultural cringe and cultural ex- exclusion, which seems to me to have become the norm in New Zealand media. But the point the is, he's not censored. He's, he's to not... the guy in Ekarahuna, to the, the the woman housewife in Winton, <laughs> to people who aren't inside the power elite, aren't inside the Beltway in Wellington, right? Y- yes. They're the people who, who who are feeling, and you can see this in survey results, you can see public comments, they feel like their media has abandoned them in the interest of pursuing its own political and cultural agenda, which seems for the moment to be aligned with the government of the day. Well, why, why would you say that? Because there's plenty of commentary giving the government a hard time. I can't see that it's any different now in terms of mass media outlets, the likes of Staff or the Herald or local newspapers. Uh, there's still a range of comment and opinion, which is critical of government, opposition. Nothing much is different now than it was, say, 10 years ago. I, I would well, we are living, Colin, I hate to say, in an alternate universe. Okay. All right. Well, as you say in your, uh, in your introduction, your kind of instructions to listeners occasionally will agree to, to disagree. But you did a, uh, had a chat with the New Zealand Initiative recently, which was on a podcast of theirs I happened to catch, where you talked about why you wanted to set up the platform. And one of the reasons you said was, you know, you became aware as you got older and more experienced, you were working in places where people with less experience were uh, making decisions and perhaps giving you orders you didn't entirely like. Yeah, I mean, I've become a grumpy old curmudgeon. But, I mean, the point is, you know, you were feeling frustrated. And I wonder... A lot of this is to do with frustration, right? I wouldn't call it frustration, Colin. I'd call it boredom. <laughs> but, but is it really uh, that and not, not really this deep-seated feeling that the media is failing or cutting out certain people? Yep, either? Yeah, that, that's definitely a feeling that the media needs a correction and I don't want to dominate the New Zealand media market, but I hope if we do things and connect with our audience and real New Zealanders, maybe some major media outlets might take a look at themselves and say, oh, we've kind of lost the people. Maybe we're too inside our own echo echo chamber and we need to reach out and change the way we do things. That would be the change I would literally want to achieve in the world. Look, you might sort of hate the comparison, I'm not sure, but um, in a way you remind me a bit of, um, if we go back a bit, of Deborah Coddington. So she was a journalist, a columnist, unafraid of offending people, uh, I think, and then you know she became an ACT Party MP as well. MP, and she runs a very nice little bookshop in Martinborough now. But in another point in media history where the government, a Labour-led government, tried to intervene with money, they created the TVNZ Charter to try and get more public service-oriented television. Didn't work very well. She railed against that. She was saying, oh, look, if they get their way, everyone's going to be watching endless reruns of The Colour Purple on TV1, and it's going to be woke. And, well, they didn't say woke back then. Yeah. 
But yeah. she then did things like she ran surveys of, to try and show there were political leanings, trying to work out individual RNZ journalists. You would have been at RNZ at the time. You were probably in that survey. Oh, yeah. I've been accused. I've been accused of being a Calvin elitist. I can remember Nick Smith coming into the studio one day and just ripping into me as a terrible left-wing propagandist. But do you think what's happening now is an echo of that? She was trying to say, look, left-wing ideologues no, are trying to force think, change in I the media. Happened. Colin, and I don't think any mainstream media, and I don't think anyone really understood what has unfolded, social media, Twitter and Facebook, and the the rise of the so-called citizen journalists has changed the dynamic of news media. Organisations that should be able to make money and not have to go cap in hand to the government kind of didn't get or didn't strategise the digital revolution properly. And we've suddenly got way more static and way more content than we've ever had before. And it's a slightly chaotic world. And it's a very binary world, whereas news, where news organisations are hunting the clicks to make their money. And the way you do that is you take an extreme position and you make everything black or white. And look, we played the game and I'm happy to admit the other. Are you Team Johnny or are you Team Amber? But I think the real world and good journalism and the forum of public opinions has to be a more nuanced and open place like that. Well, on the platform, you say, you know, your phone number is 0800 debate. Uh, you say you want people to call in, you challenge them to, to call in and create debate. Yeah. But what I do hear is pretty much a lot of people who are just ringing in to say they couldn't agree more. Let's and take... I also love people disagreeing with me. And the greatest thing that can happen in any conversation is someone changes your mind because it means you might have learned something. If we take one example, so the Simon Henry story, the Nadia Lim controversy. So you published your own opinion on the site, said, look, the real issue is the company's performance and, you know, celebrity roles in in business and it it being a poor investment for people who who invested in it. The Simon Henry thing, his conduct, whole separate issue. And, you know, you said that on the air. After that, this is all woke, uh, snowflakery, people being upset for the sake of it. After you made all your points, Annie O'Brien came and said the same thing. What do you think, everyone? Do you think it's all people shouldn't be upset for the sake of it and who cares about a Eurasian fluff comment? And the callers all ring in and say, yeah, quite agree. So d- don't you worry that they're all following your lead? I, I don't hear a lot of debate. I hear a lot of um, perhaps callers that share your well, preoccupations. Then what's that you're happen, then, if you want to change that, the woke and the people who don't agree with me, they're welcome on. We don't we don't say, you've, you know, here's the challenges. If this is going to work, people who are listening to this interview on Sunday morning on national radio and tune in for your take of the world, they've got to ring in. They've got to listen to the platform as well. And then as our audience grows and we get more diversity, the quality of the debate improves. And on that story, uh, you know, on your website comment, you said, uh, you know, I imagine that the Me Too phone tree was ringing off the hook. People probably fainted about uh, the Henry the insult in the RNZ news newsroom. Right? Yeah, yeah. you like the column. But, and you've also had a knock, um, you know, you said about the Burr case uh, on Friday, the result would have you know, press gallery journalists all in us. But why, why are you trying to provoke... No, you criticise people true. for virtue signalling, aren't you? part true, Colin. <laughs> and, you know, what's wrong with satire and hyperbole? It's a perfectly acceptable journalistic device. Oh, sure, but aren't you open to the accusation you're virtue signalling as well? Because you're trying to say, look, here I am, oh, am I not, right not emotionally I responding in the right same way as these people. <laughs> I have never thought about it before, which is why it's good to have a conversation with you. I'll right. give that some thought. 
That was Sean Plunkett, founder of the new digital media platform, The Platform, which this week launched its live radio-like live stream, broadcasting online 12 hours a day. And Sean Plunkett is the morning host on the service from 7 till 9. And there's plenty more on its app and its website, theplatform.kiwi.